You're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Hello, and welcome in to another somber episode of Sound the Foghorn Wednesday May 3rd, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki back with you to discuss yet another first-round exit for our beloved Minnesota Wild at the hands of the Dallas Stars. Lots to talk about tonight, and we'll get to all of it. Probably won't be the most upbeat show. Maybe we'll try to inject some happiness in there somewhere along the way, maybe with a contract extension toward the end of the show, something along those lines. But before we get into all of that, got to check in with the fellas. Justin, aside from being depressed that the Minnesota Wild are out of the playoffs, how are things going? Uh, besides that, uh, things are well. It's my my short work weekend in, in the middle of the swing of baseball season. I'm uh, helping coach my son's team so that's been taking up a lot of the the somberness so um yeah just doing well other than that and uh just kind of chilling now that that hockey season's over so uh taking in games without any stress and i guess the one silver lining if it's a silver lining it's not uh, i guess my prediction of the stars of six was right but that blows <laughs> but i'm doing good other than that and Zeke, what about you? Yeah, not too, uh, you know, doing pretty good. Just been busy, like a lot of other people, just busy with work. So I haven't had to, too much time to uh, until the last couple of days to kind of think back on the last few games of uh, the show tonight. So that should, well, I was about to say that should be good, but, you know, it's probably not going to be particularly fun, but, you know, got to do it. So, yeah, unfortunately, this is the third year in a row we've left off after like game three or four with, you know, hopefully we're back in the second round again. And of course, they're not. So. But otherwise, I am I am pretty, actually pretty good. So. <laughs> Other than yeah, that, definitely yeah. not, you know, the best time. At least the weather is getting nicer. I start softball next yes. week, so that's exciting. Um, feels like we've maybe avoided one final full spring, hopefully. We're Oops, into May now, right so like, now. <laughs> so like a, a May snowfall would be pretty like out of character. So we'll cross really? our fingers. You know, maybe maybe that's the bright side. And there's still playoff hockey to watch. Some good series. Uh, right. The Canes absolutely shit stomp the Devils tonight. Like absolutely kicked. Like the Canes are basically mm-hmm. missing an entire like borderline top line equivalent with Pacioretty, Svechnikov, Taravainen out, and they still kick the crap out of new jersey i think new jersey they scored on their second shot of the game and had two shots on goal for the first 25 minutes and finished the first two periods i think with 10 shots on 24 attempts and like their first shot i think they had one shot on goal in the first period and i think it was like a dribbler from the blue line that like i could have saved 
like with the a guy like uh, the, the canes are like legitimately scary i think like yeah i don't know if we're talking about the canes enough but anyway we won't talk too much about rest of the playoffs dallas lost last night so that was good to see that's good um go go seattle um but yeah uh new jersey getting shit stomp not good for justin and i's brackets no it's not <laughs> hopefully edmonton can win and make us feel a little better uh but yeah i think next we'll jump into maybe something positive before we just eat negativity for 30 40 minutes uh we'll go to justin for the prospect update all right well <clears throat> most seasons are are over uh wrapping up um, but ugren his team ended up losing in game seven of the the championship uh he did have a really good game six scored a couple goals had a really good playoff season and regular season so looking forward to him uh, continuing to develop. It sounds like he'll be back in Sweden next year and then presumably with the Wild the next year. So um, we'll yeah, see I th- how that goes. I think the notable thing, though, is he's going to become a free agent and probably get picked up into the SHL. Yeah. So for those that aren't familiar with kind of that, European system works very similar to Premier League soccer where you're relegated if you don't finish well. Uh, Ugrin's team was relegated last year out of the SHL into Hockey Elsvenskin, which is like the next league down. Obviously, they made it to the championship, so I believe that means they'll be promoted back to the SHL, so that's Jew Garden. Um, but it sounds like he probably won't extend with them um, and will likely join another SHL team. But the good news is, you know, he's going to, you know, be able to be back in the SHL as a, I think he'll be a 20 year old next year, um, mm-hmm. or probably 19, and I think he'll be 20 near the end of the season. I don't even know if he's 19 yet. Um, so he'll get a chance to play in kind of, you know, probably the fourth best, uh, pro league behind the NHL, AHL, KHL, arguably probably at the SHL. So playing against men will hopefully, you know, get that opportunity to, you know, play some top line minutes and, you know, wouldn't surprise you maybe if it's a little bit of a slow start with that readjustment back to maybe a little bit faster paced, higher level Mm -hmm. hockey. But I mean, if he, if he starts the way he finished this year, I mean, Justin, as you mentioned, I mean, he was really good through the um, the rounds leading into the into the final. Was like fourth in the league in playoff scoring. Like the only teenager, I think, on the whole like yeah. list of top fifteen. I think was stifled like the first four games, and then kind of single handedly willed them into game seven with I think yeah. uh, like two goals either game five or game six. I think he had a big game assist in yeah. one of the other ones. Like really came on. Unfortunately, I just don't think his team was was better, but. I mean, to be leading your way in a in a seven game championship series as the youngest player in your team, uh, lots to be excited about there. And that was with I think two players in Lecker Amaki and um, Oslin, who I think Lecker Amaki was taken before him. Oslin might have been a couple picks after, if I recall. I think we've had this conversation before. Yeah, we have. Oslin might have even been earlier. Like I thought Olsen was supposed to be the better of, of yeah, the and he def and Ugrin kind of emerged as the as the best of the three at least down the stretch. So lots to be excited about with him, and I think um, you know will be a fun hopefully when him you're off and Husandinov um, come over in the next you know after Jeez. next year's done. So yeah, it was good. I think at one point he was actually second points in the playoffs until he kind of hit a little the wall and, and did well again. But he is only 19, like you mentioned. Will be 20 in January, so about halfway through next season. So still teenager. You kind of forget about that track and these guys, how young they actually are. Um, definitely some good signs, and hopefully we <clears throat> get them to a really good SHL, SHL team. Um, either way, good develop. Good de- de- he'll be good for his development 
being back in that top tier league. I don't know where I saw it, but I saw a couple times that maybe he would sign with Faristad, which is where uh, Atkinbrodine played potentially. So I don't know if that's true. Did, uh, didn't notice that. Did Gus times. or Falstead play for Fjarstad too, or no? Uh, were they IF? I think they may have been IF they or were, something. They were the the Lu, Lulea, Lulea. Yeah, Lulea. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Yep, so moving on, uh, Murat Husnadinov, he's captaining and playing for the Russia 25 team right now. Uh, they won their first game 4 nothing. I believe their game today was postponed. I didn't see why, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. If you want to follow the games, the schedule is on the Young Guns page. So uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember when they play again, but uh, <clears throat> I, I believe I've they play Belarus. that playoff game gets postponed. Yeah. yeah. Not a great sign. I, I didn't see why. I just kind of checked before the show and saw the game was postponed. So I'm like, uh, I'm going to have to look into that. <laughs> or if our hockey um, news hub has any update. I'm sure he does. He's he's, he's pretty on point with all the Russian news. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesper Ballstead, he joined the Trey Croner national team and will participate in the Czech hockey games before playing in the World Junior Championships. I believe he is the only wild player in this upcoming one. Uh, Awesome for him. Good to see him continue to get you know games and minutes and whatever he can to continue to develop. <clears throat> and then Carson Lambos, <clears throat> excuse me, his team is going right now. Um, he has three points in the last three games. His team is up three nothing in this series. If they win tonight, they will move on to, to play in the WHL Championship. Uh, they'll face either Seattle or Kamloops. <clears throat> Kamloops uh, Bankier has a goal in the last two games, but his team is down two to one in the series. Seattle is the better of the two teams. They were just a couple points behind Winnipeg this season, so mm-hmm. uh, it would be an upset for Kamloops, even though they're pretty stacked. <laughs> and then David Spachek had a goal, in the la- one goal in the last couple games. His team is up two to one in his ser- in their series. I believe if they win their series, they will be playing in the QMJHL Championship. And then uh, the last bit of news is <clears throat> coming out of Iowa uh, regarding Dakota Mermis. He was named the team's winner of the IOA American Special Team Man of the Year Award um, for his contributions to the Des Moines community, which means uh, <clears throat> I believe he will be one of 32 participants or finalists in the Yannick Dupre Memorial Award for the AHL. Um, if you want to see everything he did, did during the year, that's on the Young Guns page as well. He, he did quite a bit of good things uh, between volunteer and fundraisers and stuff this past season. So awesome for him and, you know, awesome to see him, uh, you know, be in Iowa. Hopefully they, they resign him and he continues to be there. He's had a really good season too. So uh, that's it for the prospect report. All right. Well, let's get into the chitty stuff. Uh, nice. The wild, you know, Zeke, as you mentioned last time we talked, I think we're up two to one in the series, or maybe it might have been after we may have, might have been after game four. Mm-hmm. I think it was two two. So it'd come off, you know, a, a pretty good game three, a game four where the refs have since admitted that they made two terrible calls that put the Wild down one nothing and three to one in that game, um, and then from there just complete and utter just uh, what the fuck happened. Um, game five running out of the building in a shutout. Um, had It's a weird game because if you look at the stats, the Wild, like, 
for portions mm-hmm. of that game completely dominated. I think I tweeted out a stat after game five that there was about a 21 minute stretch. I don't think it was 21 minutes straight, but if I think I think it was likely between the first and the third periods, there was a combined 21 minutes where Dallas registered a single shot on goal. And it was such a weak shot, it didn't even register an expected goal value. Um, three attempts in that same time frame. The Brodeen and Dumba pairing and the Faber-Klingberg pairing at 5-on-5. Five five, that was at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, the D- Brodeen-Dumba pairing and the Klingberg-Faber uh, pairing at 5-on-5 five five had 100% expected goal share, and the Wild lost the game 4-0. to zero. Um, That game gets off on a terrible start. Marcus Foligno takes a questionable penalty. Um, reviewed five minute major given Dallas scores like within seconds of the faceoff. Shocking there. Um, and it was basically all downhill kind of from the rest. Wild not able to solve Ottinger. They don't score. They lose four nothing. They come back home and get kind of like sort of an okay first period. I think they go down one zip. Second period, they just completely caved in. I think we're outshot 18 to five. And then with the season on the line, Dean Evison finally scrambled the lines ever so slightly and they lose again. Dropping to Dallas in six games, uh, a lot of similar. Like we could probably just replay our podcast yeah. from last year, um, <laughs> and just kind of sub out a couple names and sub out stars for Blues, and maybe pull out Kevin Fiala for Matt Boldy or insert you know Marcus Johansson or somebody else here, because um, there's a lot of the the exact same storylines. So before we get into those, I guess we'll just if you guys have any comments on. Zeke, we'll, we'll get you know if you want to comment on the officiating, um, or if you guys want to hit on anything else that happened in games five or six. I think we can start mm-hmm. there and then kind of go to the overarching themes uh, of the series. You know, I, I it really does piss me off about the refing thing. The fact that 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 crew didn't get to move on, and and the fact that the NHL admitted they were wrong. I mean, I can. I mean, you could see both sides of it, like that's bullshit. The penalty should have never been called. Like who knows, you know, how those games would have gone because we're, you know, making comebacks or, or maybe had the momentum. And then those penalties were called and, you know, we know what happened from there, but on the other side of it, we were not good enough to kill those penalties that shouldn't have been called. So, you know, mm-hmm. to have the adversity to do that. Uh, ultimately it, it sucks that that happened, but uh, you know, just got to find that adversity. Uh, but yeah, it really did piss me off after that. They put that out that those mm-hmm. have been penalties at all, and it just it's, it's super frustrating. I feel like I don't like complaining about the refs, but I, I feel like we get the shit end of the stick in sports a lot. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, it just sucks. Like, like all you get is like, oopsies, we messed yeah, up. Yeah, like it's like thanks. I mean, and then, not like I feel like there's something else they could do. Like it's not like they can sit there and be like, ah, no. eh, we'll give you a power yeah. play to start the game or something. Like right. you can't do that. But it's just like all we it's, get is a. Whoopsie! Sorry. Yeah, you're wrong. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you know, you're season. one of your most important energy players. Probably shouldn't have been kicked out of the game. Um, I still didn't like the play. I don't know. I, well, no, I, don't, like, I don't like knee on knee hit ever because it's, it's happened to me. It sucks and it hurts. Yeah. Uh, mine was a little different. The guy actually stuck his leg out. Um, mm-hmm. I had an similar. I had an injury similar to Hartman's for mine, but I mean the replay. Yeah. It, I mean, and then apparently Fox had kind of flopped. The replay looked like his knee rubber banded. One of them to me is like, ah, oh, it looks bad. And then, oh, he's back. All right, well, now my opinions have changed. Um, and they showed a bunch I mean, of angles, and I'm like, ah, eh, well, yeah, that was probably two minutes for tripping, but mm-hmm. oopsie. Sorry. I mean, the thing about that, it's, you know, more, the more irritating part is that the 
you know, the refs are supposed to be, it's supposed to be an objective job, you know, we're supposed to call the rule book and now they're out there the next game, you know, purposely looking to, I mean, if that's anyone else aside from Felino, he's probably not tossed out of the game, if we're being completely honest. And this is not, you know, I'm kind of over it all, you know, you want, it's, it is what it is, but you know, this is a, you know, it's a thing you see league wide where there's guys fairly or unfairly who basically have a target on their back and it's, you know, it's just, it seems kind of ridiculous, but I mean, at the same time, you know, on the other end, like Justin was talking about with the inability to kill penalties off and handle that adversity. I mean, that's kind of what uh, Ryan Reeves said yesterday. I don't have the exact quote, you know, but he basically said, I think we, you know, kind of lost our discipline a little bit and let the officiating and all that get into our heads a little bit too much. Cause I mean, like, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Brett to here off the top, you know, they started that game five. I mean, Sam Steele just missed on a breakaway. And then two minutes later, Felino takes the penalty, and you know they're down one nothing, and kind of similar thing happened. The series basically ended at that moment. Like there was never really a stretch, at least in my mind, after that penalty was called, where it's like, yeah, we still have a chance. Like it just felt like that Mm -hmm. that single penalty just like completely deflated any chance that they had left. And I mean, it's you know, and maybe you guys can say a little bit more because to be honest after the uh after the first goal in game five and the first first period in game six i did not watch any of them because you could see where that was going but it uh i mean like you said but it's very similar to last year you could just read uh, you could read body language and everything pretty easily that you know that for whatever reason i mean it, you know it doesn't really make sense that after just one uh one bad thing that the whole house kind of just fell apart unfortunately but yeah i mean there's nothing at least for me, at my standpoint, I don't think there's anything that we haven't, uh, nothing really that we haven't talked about already that, you know, was a problem. I mean, it was all the same, same stuff again. So. I think in game six, <clears throat> I was honestly like, after we went down and it seemed like we had no fight left in us, I kind of just, I wasn't even, I was, of course, upset that they weren't playing well, but I was honestly just sitting there like, season's over, like, calm, yeah. like, I, I knew what was coming because they were playing so bad and just yeah, at least it didn't really get your hopes up. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, all right, I'm just numb to this. Let's just yeah. I mean, watch this game. And I don't know. <laughs> you like you know what's coming. <laughs> Their body language was really great. Yeah. And you there's accepted the... no, go ahead. Yeah. Zeke. No, I was saying it was like St. Louis last year where you kind of accepted after game five that, you know, they probably had no chance in game six. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was at home. I thought that would maybe you know have some pride and at least don't be killed. Yeah. But I feel bad for the fans. I paid like however much a ticket to watch. Yeah, that. I went to game one last year, and now in the back of my head, it's like really hard to buy a playoff ticket in the first round. Now I'm like, if they get to the second, maybe I'll consider it. But I dropped like 180 dollars to sit in like the tippy top of the 200 yeah. level to watch them get their asses kicked. I think that game was like 5-1 to one or 5 nothing or right. something. It was, it was, they didn't even score. That was the yeah. worst thing. Yeah, yeah that's frustrating. So, so I was like, you yeah, go there, no. Yeah, and I get there. Like, I, you know, I'm like, I'm like yeah. six beers deep. I've been in, you know, I've been on West 7 <laughs> since, you know, 530. I'm like, you know, yeah. You know, there was like the penalty shot and Flurry made the save and we're all oh, drunk yeah. as shit. And then it was just, yeah. Um, it's frustrating because you go there for the playoff energy and it doesn't yeah. happen because the team plays yeah. so bad. And the energy is like, great. Like, I know I'd, I'd gonna... imagine game was that uh, game three when shot like that game had to be awesome. Like you got your money's worth in that. Yeah. You got a Mason Shaw. Um, you got TJ Hawkinson fucking crushing beers with fans. <laughs> like 
Awesome. And then the rest is that. Sorry for the rest of you that paid I mean, for the other two games. <laughs> I mean, game four, if they if they would have scored first, I think they probably would have won that game. It yeah, was well, the I think the team that scored part. first in every game won, yeah. won the game. So. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. I, think, I think that's the case. Yeah. I know it was the case for like the first four or five. I don't know if it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of overarching themes in this series, a lot of different areas we can go. I think since we've kind of already mm-hmm. talked about officiating, I think naturally – uh, we can the next place we can go here is the special team. So I think, you know, also there there's two sides to this coin. Side one is the Wild shouldn't have been on the penalty kill as often as they were, but the second side is at some point you gotta kill off a fucking penalty. Um yeah. four times in this series, Dallas scored within seventeen seconds or fewer of the of the power play starting, could not win face offs think as of like game after game five they were 29 percent um on the faceoff dot while shorthanded i would imagine that probably didn't get much better after game six um and it was everyone like freddie goudreau was bad uh sam Steele was bad connor dewar was bad on faceoffs, and then it just seemed like they just couldn't defend the front of the net whatsoever um marcus johansson on the ice for six shorthanded goals jared spurgeon was on for uh 14 of the 27 goals in the series i think almost every single one of the uh shorthanded goals spurgeon was on the ice for um and the power play i mean i think they had a they had i I think they had a power play goal in each of the first four games (coughs) which like sounds good in your head but when you look at how many power plays they had and there just wasn't a timely power play goals either. It's like they would, you know, it seems like, oh, they get a power play, momentum could change. And it and it wasn't that the power play just wasn't scoring. It just it wasn't even having chances. I mean, that first unit was brutal, completely. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like the second unit was the one getting the better looks with Hartman and Spurgeon, Nyquist, Felino, and Goudreau, I think, was that second unit. Like, it felt like that unit was getting the better chances. The first unit would just pass it around in a circle put a shot off someone's shin pad or missed the net and the pucks going the other way down the ice. Like the special teams were just terrible. And this is the part to me that feels like the biggest broken record. Um, and kind of the area I want to hit on first because this, the, the penalty kill was bad for different reasons. Last year it was that cross seam pass. And this year it was just total lack of any sort of net front presence. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. how much Tyler Sagan, I think scored four goals and I think three of them, Four goals in the power play, I think, in the first five games. And I think three of the four of those, I don't know if there was a defender within three feet of him when he had the puck in front of the net. Like, like That's where the goal is going to be scored. Why are you defending the hash marks? Um, and that was veteran players, Brodeen, Spurgeon, you know, Middleton, these veteran guys that just were losing their man and just losing their minds. Um, and then, you know, so we'll start there. I've, <laughs> I've tangent a little bit. But just your guys' thoughts, power play, penalty kill, general special teams, uh, through the entire series. Well, I mean, I think, you know, first, you know, on the power play, I mean, that was, you know, in game five, that was their opportunity to get back in. I think they had, you know, three three power plays in the last 10 minutes of that second period. And I mean, that's, you mentioned timeliness and clutchness. And when you need one, I mean, that's the point. Obviously, down 3 nothing is a little, little different than when you're tied or trailing by one. But, you know, that was, you know, it's just another example of, it, I don't know. Like you said, it just seems like usual, the same problems on the power play, a lot of perimeter passing, you know, that is even if they got in the zone, I mean, it feels like a lot of times that, you know, obviously we talked about, everyone's talking about losing face off to, 
you know, to the moon and back because that's, you know, the biggest problem is that they never start with the puck and you have to go through 20 seconds of, you know, breaking out and trying to chip it back in, you know, losing the battle, chipping back out. So, you know, they never really even seem to get set too many times and do any, you know, even you have to get it in the zone. Then when you don't do that, you don't get any chance to even create. So that's obviously, you know, that, you know, it was, you know, it's, uh, it's frustrating because, you know, like, you know, maybe Garen would have said yesterday, obviously in the regular season, it wasn't great, but it was improved. And, you know, you kind of hope that maybe there would be at least, you know, a little bit, a little bit of that improvement into the, you know, the postseason. Obviously that didn't happen for, you know, a lot of those reasons, but I, I think the face-offs is probably the, uh, you know, even if a lot of times you don't, think it's super important i mean when you lose 78 percent of them in every game it kind of is probably the it puts you behind the eight ball to start automatically yeah it's frustrating to see us do so well in the the regular season for a while but you could <clears throat> kind of tell towards the end of the season at least the power play really wasn't clicking there there was uh, that first unit i felt like tried to do too much at times tried to be too pretty or make one more extra pass instead of you know maybe getting that shot that that could get a scoring chance it it just didn't look like the same penalty kill from the beginning of the season um as far as the penalty kill when you give up nine goals in six games that's that's just not good and i think two of the games we didn't even give up a power play goal but still but not in what four games that's that's gonna lose you a series especially when you can't really score on your power plays um and I was thinking about that too, Zeke. You were very uh, right about the faceoffs. Like when you're losing every faceoff on the power play, and and you have to skate 200 feet again, and then you can't make your zone entrance and can't get anything set up, cause another turnover. They shoot it down the ice, and you have to go 200 feet again. It just uh, that was part of the problem too. Is is frustrating to watch. I don't. I didn't really. I don't care what they did in the regular season when the, the game changes in the playoffs and it becomes a whole different ball game it seemed like they reverted to kind of last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we talked to, you know, obviously Brett mentioned the lack of, you know, everyone's talked about the lack of changes. I mean, you know, this year again, I mean, that was the same thing on the penalty kill. Even in game six, I think he was throwing Goudreau and Johansson out there to kill off penalties when, you know, it hadn't really done it all series long and, you know, kind of the last half of the regular season either. And, you know, I think obviously, you know, you don't it's you don't want to make the injury excuse, but you know, the big obviously, as everyone knows, the big you know, the big missing piece here is Eric Sinek, who is on both units. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. I don't know if I don't you know, you don't really want to say that one guy's gonna make that you know, that much of a difference because it's you know, kind of as a cop out. So just wanted to throw that in there. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's just kind of a lack of creativity in a lot of parts of their game overall, really. I think missing Shaw and Eck really hurt the penalty kill, but I think this yeah. just showed how important, even though we already knew how much more important Eck is to this team, and he might even be on that Kaprizov level. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 was a, it was a dagger <laughs> losing him for that series. Yeah, and then the other thing, too, I want to just kind of briefly go back to the power play. And to me, there was a fix that they could have made and they didn't do it. We talked about it on the show, <coughs> excuse me, that we last recorded, um, and that was finding a way to get Kalen Addison back on the ice, on the power play. 
Uh, with him in the lineup this season, 38 goals for the Wild in the power play across 215 minutes. They had 54 um, in 407 minutes across the entire season. So if you do the math on that, um, I'm doing this on the fly here. So that would be how many goals without him? 16 in about, let's see, what's Hundred and ninety two minutes. So you had thirty eight goals in hundred and ninety two minutes, thirty-eight in two hundred and fifteen. Like pretty equal ice time and you more than doubled your goals when Kalen Addison was on the ice. Um and you know, no place for specialists, yada yada yada. I thought there was opportunity all series long to you know, Sam Steele had a great, you know, maybe first two games and then really underwhelmed from that point on. Um mm-hmm. you had bunch of guys playing through injuries, you know, obviously you probably weren't going to take any of the blue liners out. I thought, you know, a lot of those guys, especially the third pair who I was, you know, most worried about going into the series played very well. Um, but like Ryan Reeves, no one would fight him. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. playing on the penalty kill. He's not playing on the power play. Your fourth line really isn't doing enough to energize you. Like what's the point of having him out there at that point? Um, you know, when there's a clear need to win a special teams special battle. Teams and, you know, so I, I thought there was opportunity to get him in there. Oscar Sundquist played one game, was like a plus two and scored a goal in that game. Uh, never saw the ice again in the series. Um, that's a guy you spent a fourth round pick on and you played Sam Steele, who you were inches away from putting on waivers at one point. Um, mm-hmm. That was a really questionable decision for me. Um it was just the overall lack of lineup changes. And I think we talked about this kind of heading into games five and six too, up to that point outside of the flurry and for Gustafson, which we already talked enough about that. We don't need to rehash that out. Um, how questionable that decision was. Um, there was no other non injury related lineup changes made. And that goes for inserting players, removing players. And then that continued in through game six and not only did they not make any substitutions, they made one tweak of the lines where they put, I think, uh, they slid Johansson up with Kaprizov and Hartman and then put Zuccarello with Boldy and Goudreau for two periods and then flipped it back. That was it. That was the one line change, non-injury related, through six games that Dean Evison made for the, six, for the second straight season. And that, to me, is what's infuriating because, you know, did Dallas make a lot of changes up front? No. Not necessarily, but they didn't have to. Didn't like, to their have. their special teams were getting the job done. They were doing things that were allowing them to win the games. We saw them make some substitutions on the blue line. We saw them, you know, find ways to keep the Wilds' power play perimeter. Um, they found different ways to score. You know, they lost their, their best net front power play guy and Joe Pavelski who scored four goals last night in his return. Good for him. Glad to see he's back, you know, healthy. Um, you know, they put Tyler Sagan there and Sagan scores four goals. Like they found ways to adjust, um, you know, argue all you want about, you know, stars players flopping and diving. Well, they got the calls and it worked. Um, mm-hmm. and Pete DeBoer, you know, called this stuff out, you know, seemingly gotten to Dean Evison's head, gotten the officials head, like, Say what you want about the tactics. They worked. He made adjustments. He tried things. And just for the second straight season, it just feels like Dean Evason and especially his special teams coaches, Bob Woods and Brett McLean, who run the power play and penalty kill, just refused to change anything. Like I saw after game two, like, hey, we like the guy out front, 
I, I think I had a screenshot of I think it was mm-hmm. one of the, I think it was game two when Flurry started. There was a goal the Dallas scored on the on the power play, and I think the Spurgeon, closest right? defender to him is Spurgeon, and he's standing at the hash marks, and Sagan's on top of Flurry on the top of the crease. Like that's inexcusable, and they scored like four more times that way. It's like how do you not see that in the film? Who cares about the guy in the bumper? If you're tied up with the guy in front, it's got to go through you, it's got to go through their screen, and it's got to go through your goalie. But if you're not covering that guy, now it has to go through the goalie, right? Like, it's just mm-hmm. – it, it seems so simple and elementary and just the refusal. And then for Dean Evison to come out and, oh, I thought we competed. Like, games four, five, and six, you look like shit. Like, you didn't com- – like, maybe there was a 20 minutes in those three games where maybe you had – a little bit of fight and like, yeah, maybe it looked like you did in the third when Dallas was like, yeah, we're up, you know, three zip or whatever it was four zip at that point. We don't really care if we allow a goal or just going to chip the puck out and move on to the second round and make sure no one else gets hurt. Like, yeah, it's going to be easy to press when the other team's probably half-assing it a little bit, but it's just like stuff like that. Just, it rubs me the wrong way Uh, because of the injuries and the cap situation. Those things, I think Dean Evison's job is safe for now. And it seems that that's been echoed from beat reporters and somewhat through Garen. Uh, the assistants, not named Darby Hendrickson or Freddie Shabbat, I would not be so sure of. I especially think – I would not be surprised if in the next – before the end of the month if both Woods and McLean are gone. Oh, uh-huh. Weren't those guys here uh, when before Garen showed up? I believe so, yes. <clears throat> I believe so because Woods was with Boudreau. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean – it was very frustrating to see all that stuff. I think another move we could have made that, that we talked about a little bit in one of our show last shows was moving Nyquist up to the top yeah. six. You had a guy that was scoring over a point-per-game clip since he came back from injury and looked maybe like our best player, our best forward on the ice at times. And, I don't know if the analytics would show that he was the best play-driving forward, but you know, counting stats and just yeah. eye tests. Like right. It seemed like every time there was a scoring chance – that Gus Nyquist was somehow yeah. involved in it. Whether that was right. five on five on the power play, wherever it was, it seemed like Gus Nyquist was involved. Yeah, I was very frustrated to see just those two guys swap on the top two lines. I was like, come on, like give Nyquist a shot. or Especially like said, when Addison, like had Even if he's just playing power play. I mean, yeah, he played like shit five on five defensively at times during yeah. the season. But it would when be one thing if really, what you had yeah. was working. But like... Your best player, really. your best player who, you know, was MVP candidate before he got hurt this year, had one goal in the series and no assists. Uh, Matt Boldy had three assists the whole series. Like your two best players needed help, and Johansson had a pretty rough playoff. Um, I guess I think as I mentioned earlier, on the, he was on the ice for twelve of the. Uh, 21 goals scored against in the series, six of those while shorthanded, and I think only three of those were five-on-five. Five. So I think there's like a four-on-four, four, maybe one or two empty netters in there, so that could be a little bit skewed. Um, but, you know, not exactly ideal. And, you know, Bully just, you know, Goudreau was, we found out later, playing with an injury, did not look like himself. Um, so he's basically dragging Goudreau along with him again. And, you know, a, a struggling, maybe injured Marcus Johansson in there. Like, get the guys some healthy help. Like, it just, it right. seemed hard um and I, th- I think we can go there next we can go to bully and kaprizov i mean battling through injuries shitty line mates or not uh these are two guys that just did not show up um kaprizov just the one goal finishes with a career high five game pointless drought um 
I believe I looked back. He only had two assists from February 27th until the end of the season. Obviously, the injury happened, I think, early March. But the six playoff games, there was a couple games leading into the injury, and then the two or three he played after. So there was like a – still, it was like a 10, 11, 12-game stretch where Kaprizov had just two assists. Um, I think that speaks a little bit to Matt Zuccarello's dip. Um, I think it especially speaks to the power play's complete dip. Um, and then Boley, I think now through 12 career playoff games, has like – I think it's four or five points. In there, I think like one goal and four assists or something. I think he had two points or something last year. But um, I mean, those are you know, and it just it, it that was just sucked to see because I got Caprizas coming back from injury, yeah. claims he feels good. Um, you know, Boldy was coming in, you know, fifteen goals basically since the Caprizas injury. Seemed like he was coming in lightning hot, and it just seems everything hit a wall. I mean, credit to Dallas, uh, especially Miro Heiskanen, who no other Dallas player played more ice time against Caprizas. Um, you know, he's a guy kind of like Brodine where you maybe not, maybe not notice him all the time. Uh, cause it's the little stick plays and little things like that. But I mean, he did an excellent job of keeping Kaprizov in check and, um, you know, the rest of the team did a good job of, of slowing Boldy down, um, which is maybe why we saw, you know, the Nyquists maybe getting some more chances, got that little bit, that lower level of, of competition, but it was really fresh. I mean, I, I, no one knows, everybody knows, you know, that this podcast we're, you know, biggest fans as can be as Kaprizov and Boldy which you know I think that's all the more reason why it just sucks because you had such high hopes for those two and they just they did not come through I think the weirdest oh sorry I think the weirdest thing I mean Kaprizov I thought you know even I mean obviously he scored the first goal in game one but he looked I think he had something like eight or nine shots maybe in game one yeah I know he had a lot and he was at least the first two periods he was skating really well you know he looked kind of like himself and you start thinking, oh, we're going to get another kind of performance like last year against St. Louis. Uh, and then, you know, I think it was, I think it was, I was listening to Kay finish today. I think, I think it was Lou Nanny. I was on with Barrero and he was said he had like something like three shots, maybe the next three games total after Two having and that. Two three, three, it was three total. And then I think he yeah. jumped back up to like four again mm-hmm. in game four. Yeah. So it's, you know, don't just weird. You don't really know, uh, you know exactly how that can happen. I and mean, obviously you can have, bad ruts of play and you know turns out like he said he wasn't really a he said he was completely healthy which i don't buy it for a second which you know we never who knows if they're telling the truth complete truth obviously about that doesn't really matter but i think you know the other thing that you know lumina was saying on kfan which you know he basically said that which is what kaprizov he he basically said through his translator that he found it hard to kind of maybe get back into that rhythm after missing a month off and jumping back in Obviously, you know, you're, you're a professional athlete, you know, you get, you know, it's not, you should be ready to be able to perform either way. But I think, you know, as he said on Keith the other day that it's not, you know, it's hard for us to imagine just as, you know, regular people, how, you know, how hard it is to come back, be play a couple, you know, kind of throwaway games at the end of the regular season and, uh, you know, go right into an intense playoff series. I mean, it's not an excuse necessarily. Obviously they need him to be better and you need him to score a few more goals. I mean, he had plenty of chances, especially, in game four at home that could have, you know, had a breakaway, a couple of missed nets in the power play that, you know, if you bury just one of those, who knows the, the game or series might've been different. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, it, it, like you said, it's, it's, it's just frustrating that, uh, you know, he wasn't really able to do much. I mean, he was, like you said, he pretty much, it was a non-factor the last three or four games of the series. You didn't really particularly notice him. So, uh, yeah, I don't, 
it's 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 irritating because I mean we saw last year against St. Louis that he definitely can play in the playoffs. That's not the question. I mean he was great last year, and even then it wasn't enough. And uh, you know the fact that you know the fact that it just kind of fell back for whatever reason is obviously a uh, you know that however you you go pretty much a lot of times uh, in a lot of sports however your best players go is you know, kind of how the team goes and obviously that's the only reason but you know. That those guys didn't show up and the team didn't advance, so it's it's too bad. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Brett, we love these guys, but I feel like uh, Boldy he has really good regular seasons, and then the playoffs come around and and he's I don't know, it's a different game. And you know, Garen talked about this that he's got to find that level in the playoffs too, because you got to up your game in the playoffs, and it just feels like. He was in the perimeter quite a bit during the playoffs. I mean, yes, DeBoer did a great job of, you know, when you have two guys basically that you got to key in on, um, mm. I mean, it makes it easier. But at the same time, uh, these guys have to find ways to score, um, find ways to, you know, battle that and, and you know, do well for your team. It's just – I was I was hoping the guys would would pick him up, which they did during some of the games. Like we saw during the regular season, when Caprice I went out and a whole bunch of players stepped up to score. But um, these are the guys you want scoring and and scoring big goals when it matters most. <clears throat> and I'm I'm not necessarily worried about either of them. I mean, off, you know, whether he's healthy or not, the rhythm thing I think is is legit. Boldy's mm-hmm. still young, yeah. you know, just turned twenty two back in April. So like still a young, you know, young player, plenty of time to learn. Um, you know, he, he still doesn't, doesn't feel like he's had even established like true two second line line mates yet in his NHL mm-hmm. career, especially in the playoffs. I mean, last year, Fiala, Goudreau, this year, Goudreau, Johansson, like we haven't seen, you know, a Boldy Eck playoff group yet. And maybe next year it's, you know, Boldy Eck and Johansson or, Bully Rossi and someone, or you know, so I'm 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 not saying I don't think he can, he can form the playoffs. I don't want that to be right. No, just, no, definitely it not. Was disappointing to not see it this year. Yeah, yeah, and I think these are just key things, especially early on in his career. The you know stepping stone blocks to you know look at himself and be like, okay, what can I do better? You know, this worked in the regular season, this didn't work in the playoffs. What can I do in this off season or you know? throughout the regular season to maybe get to that level of, you know, in the playoffs and continue to develop and develop into a star superstar, which, you know, I think he'll be, but uh, you just got to learn from these moments. I mean, you know, you kind of on that point too, I mean, we saw him have a pretty good start to the regular season and then went kind of, you know, the goal scoring went really dry for about two or three months there. So, you know, I mean, he ended up with 30 goals and 60 plus points, which is really good for a 21 year old, obviously, but, you know, he's, to, like you guys mentioned, the point that he's young, I mean, he hasn't really yet had, like, a complete, uh, you know, We haven't seen the consistency play. yet. Yeah, yeah, no. So, which is obviously, you know, not an uncommon thing in younger guys who, aside from, like, the absolute studs like McDavid's and Matthews. So, yeah, no, hopefully that's just, uh, hopefully with himself and, you know, coaching whatnot. And, you know, it's just everybody just needs to make adjustments and, you know, get a little maybe more just come up with some new ways to, uh, to change your game or improve it that will allow you to, uh, you know, get to that next level when you need it. Yeah. The, the place I wanted to go next. So kind of culminating all of these thoughts, um, you know, we kind of had the little bit of the, of the Bill Guerin versus the media 
um, through press conferences yesterday with the media, you know, kind of looking at it as a failure, you know, another year where they didn't make the second round. And Bill Guerin kind of snapped back with, well, our goal isn't to make the second round, it's to win the Stanley Cup. And to get there, it's a process. Um, and I wanted to talk about this because I think both sides have some really interesting points, and I think I can see it both ways. I think we'll kind of start, you know, I think it all kind of goes together. You don't want to start with one argument or the other, but I, I really do think both can be true. You know, as fans, we want to see our team succeed. We want to, you know, winning mm-hmm. playoff rounds is great. Um, but I don't, but I don't, I mean, it, it's easy to say sitting here, you know, after another first round exit that, like, I wouldn't be happy if they made it to the second round, but, like, would I really be that much happier or less disappointed, hey, if they won that one round one and then went and got, you know, gobsmacked by, you know, Seattle in four games or five games, or if if, if they went to the conference final and didn't win, like, the reality is they still didn't make a Stanley Cup, they still didn't win it. Is there some experience to be gained there? Sure. You know, is that, you know, I think some of the arguments uh, Russo and Smith had in their article was, you know, it those guys learn what winning feels like, what it takes to win. It, it builds toward that. And I get all that for sure. But I don't think, like, getting to the second round would have made this season feel like a success. I mean, we've talked about it oodles of times on this show about how it felt like even being in the playoffs – was kind of a gift in itself when it seemed like, hey, is this team going to be a seller at the deadline and are they even going to make the playoffs? Are they going to make any noise in the playoffs? Like, they they were kind of playing with house money. Like, some some good trades fell into their lap, seemed like some things are working out. They seemed like they were maybe getting hot at the right time. Um, like, a lot of dominoes seemed to fall right, and they kind of played with house money and it ran out, right? So, mm. you know, I can kind of see it both ways, but I think, I mean – We've talked about, I think, on this show before. I don't know if it's been recently, but I know my mindset is this team's window isn't fully open yet. Like, it's cracked. Like, there's a little bit of a breeze coming in. But, you know, two, three years from now, that thing's going to be flung wide open. I mean, you're going to have bugs coming in. There's, you know, if it rains, there's your floor is going to flood. Like, right now, it's just. Yeah, you're waiting for the maintenance guy to to fix the little kinks. You can pull it open, and that you know. I've also seen some narratives of like they need to rebuild. And I was like, well, what do they have to rebuild? They've got some young star players. They have the you first or second best prospect pool in the league. You have hopefully a franchise goalie. Like you're gonna have all the cap space you can ever want in two years. Like, do you just want to accumulate even more? Like, I don't. I don't get that argument because like, you can't really go down. Like they're, they've already kind of rebuilt without having to do a rebuild. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. been impressive. So I don't know. I see both sides, but in my mind, like I don't want to be the you know the, the Bill Guerin sheep, but I get what he's saying. Like yeah. Rome's not built in the day. Our goal is to win the cup, and it seemed like he almost admitted like I didn't necessarily think the team we have this year could win the cup. And yeah. we'll get there, and I'm going to keep making moves. And, you know, I, I think it would not shock me if the team the next maybe two years isn't as good as what we've seen the last two years unless, you know, they can really be carried by Philip Gustafson or, you know, a Marco Rossi or a Brock Faber, you know, some of these rookies that will be coming through really, really step up. Um, could they be similar? Yes, but I don't necessarily think we'll see a better on-ice product um, in the future too. And keeping that in mind is, you know, kind of like to build your team too. You don't want to, you know, trade away the house or 
sell everything because you you know you want to get your Capri Softs to extend and whatever else too. So, um, just your guys' thoughts on kind of that seemingly back and forth that's going on between the Wild front office and, and some media members. I mean, honestly, I felt like he's done a good job building what he has. Going into these three years of cap hell, I honestly, in the back of my mind, felt like, okay, these three years, we might not make the playoffs at all. Like, <clears throat> we're playing with 12 and 14 and 14 less million dollars than the rest of the league for the most part on guys that aren't even on the roster. Yep. The failure in my eyes is maybe, like we already talked about, the lack of adjustments in games. I don't think it's a failure that we, you know, made the playoffs and got knocked out. Yes, you want to win the cup. Like it, it I mean, it is a failure because you want to see your team win. Thirty-one teams same time. Win the cup. No, exactly. And you know, eventually, you know, we want to be that team to win the cup. We want to win it every year, of course. But uh, the long game, really, I mean, looks good. Like you already mentioned, a top prospect pool, and and you got Caprizo, Boldy, Faber here already making you know impacts, and then in uh, the next, yep, Eck. And then next coming draft, you got a first and two seconds. I mean, that's going to be three players within the top, probably, you know, at least 64 picks. Yeah. Add that to your pool. You know, not all these guys are going to pan out, but there was a stat. No team has picked more in the first and second round. I think in the last two drafts than the wild, like how much more, like what one of those has been the top 10 pick. It was nine. It was Rossi. Like, you can't really get much more rebuild than that. No, and Brack is doing a hell of a job, and he's got all these bullets in the chamber. And like I said, not all these guys are going to you know work out how we want them to. But the more bullets you have, the more chances you have for them to work out. And yeah, you know, you like you mentioned too, we're going to be and... in two years when these guys are ready to make the jump to the NHL. We're going to have the cap space to dip into free agency as well, and, and really and caprice off a blank check. Like yeah, exactly. Like. I mean, uh, our year, our window is really like probably two, three years out. So, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to make the playoffs, always unhappy to lose, but I also see the long game. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, I mean, there were some few comments, fans going, you know, oh, we're all these great draft picks that I heard there had. I mean, you know, you just start being lately. They're 20 years old this. developing. They're not 24 year old NFL players. I mean, yeah, they're just they're not, not how it works. So. College. Yeah. So it, that you know, that just takes some time. I mean, that's you know, that's kind of what we all had asked for in the last few years of Chuck Fletcher. You know, stop, hey, stop trading away second round picks. You know, like you're on Oprah here, yeah, giving stop, it away. Stop you. rushing guys that aren't ready, like Greenway, yeah. Zucker, Coyle. Like some so, of these guys weren't ready to make the jump. Like, and we rushed so, them anyway. Yeah. It takes time, and you know, I think obviously Garen, he can't and isn't going to go up there and say, you know, hey, we're just not going to be very good in the next two years, and we, you know, we have no chance at you know winning the cup, winning the playoffs because. You know, when some people were yesterday like, well, does he really mean the whole, you know, it's about winning thing? It's like, I found that kind of silly. It's like, I mean, just look at his entire history as a player and as a GM. Do you really think he's just okay with losing the first round every year and that's all he wants? It's like, no. I mean, like you guys said, he said it. He wants to win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, that's the goal that they're trying to build. And But at the same time, you can see it from the, from the fan side, and we feel it too, that, you know, even if it is just first round series win, it would be, you know, even if you do get stopped out of the second round, you know, it would be something good to look back on and say, hey, you know, these last two years, you know, yeah, we lot didn't get past the second round, but we did beat a good Dallas team or St. Louis division rival, and you got to have fun. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, it, it, you know, especially at home where I think they're, you know, 5 and 14 in the last 19, you'd, you'd like to at least have something to, 
you know, from a fan standpoint to hold on to, you know, and to, and to feel good about, uh, you know, in the playoffs. But as we said, uh, it's, you know, it's a dual sided thing. And, yeah. you know, I don't Both think sides can be right. Yeah. He's Both not, no one's be being, wrong. you know, it's obviously, it's frustrating losing the first round. It's frustrating to, you know, I don't know if I'm completely right on this when I tweeted that they now have the longest series losing streak, not over number of years, including what they missed, but they've, you know, since Toronto won, you know, they've lost seven series in a row. You know, it's been eight years. You know, obviously that's, you know, that's the most important time of the year. That's when you want to win. So, you know, there's definitely warranted. I mean, you know, we were obviously all three of us were frustrated and a little dis- and pretty disappointed that they kind of collapsed the last two games. But, you know, like we've talked about here, it's, you know, it's the bigger picture. It's, you know, trusting the process a little bit. And I know people will go, hey, you know, we've been waiting 20 years. Where's, you know, where's that success? Where's that? And, you know, I hear that, and, you know, we all feel that too at the same time, but, you know, it's a, it's not the same. It's not been the same management group. It's not been the same group of players over those 20 years. So, you you know, you just have to give them a little bit of time to, you know, I kind of tweeted this to, to figure it out and see it through. And, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, there won't be some changes and that, you know, maybe a coach or two should get switched around and player two should be different. But uh, it's, you know, ultimately it's not uh, – this is not, you know, it's not an excuse, but this isn't like, you know, the Wild aren't Boston with, you know, a couple of their guys and the, their best players in the tail end of their career and a couple of young players who they really loaded up on at the deadline. You know, it's, you know, it's not like that or a Tampa getting swept by Columbus. It's not that kind of a failure. You know, like Justin said, I don't know. I agree with him. I don't know that I would call it a failure necessarily because there was a lot of good things, you know, like Philip Gustafson, Matt Boldy breaking out this year etc a few other things so it's not a failure from the standpoint in that they're they're building uh, to their plan but it, you know it is also a little bit of a failure in the fact that they weren't able to uh you know get up and make at least one step here into the playoffs this yeah. year i think this is progress is what we're looking for yeah i think it was john cooper I think had a quote after the Tampa Bay lost their series. It was something of it's something on the lines of like it was a missed opportunity, right? And I feel like that rings very true. Like that in my mind is like I think was what kind of culminates both sides. It was a missed opportunity. Like this team, you know, coming into the we you know we talked coming into the coming into the playoffs. Like hey, this team feels you know more built for a playoff series. The special teams are stronger. Um, They've, you know, they've got better goaltending and, you know, Philip Gustafson, I think was a bright spot for this team in the playoffs. Like there was, there wasn't really a game. I mean, I, we finished with what, like a, a two and two and four record, I guess, Tech, or yeah, two and four record in the playoffs. But I don't really feel like any of those four losses were like, man, Philip Gustafson lost us that game. Like none of the games felt like that to me. Did he steal a game really? I mean, maybe game one, you could argue, um, especially in kind of that later over, you know, that second half of that game, he kind of took over it a little bit. But, like, he was a bright spot. Didn't feel like it was his fault. But, yeah, it, it was, you know, it was a missed opportunity to get to the second round, to feel what it's like to win, to know what it has to take for Kaprizov and Boldy to figure out how to play in the playoffs. Um, those types of things, you know, for sure. Um but, you know, this is a process, and, you know, I think another way you can look at this is I think there was much more reason, you know, the end of the Chuck Fletcher era, right? You're kind of looking at this, you know, it's an aging core. It's, you know, now these, you know, mid-20s, you know, the Nina Riders, the Zuckers, the Coils, like these guys who look like, 
yep, they pretty much are what they are. We're out of cap space. We don't really have, you know, a ton of prospects to be excited about. Like, it was a big question of where do we go from here. In the wild, I don't really think they have that question necessarily. It's like, where do we go the next two years? Maybe that's a question. But, like, beyond that, we know where we go, and it should be up. Mm -hmm. You know, there should some of these players – because some of these prospects are going to pan out. Some of them aren't but they're going to find ways to bring in other guys like they have before. You know, they'll find some more gems. They'll find some guys that aren't good. Um, but to me, I think that's the biggest difference here is there's there's reasons to be optimistic still because of what they have in place, because of this long-term plan that is really hard to think about when you're in the now, but I think a lot of people tend to easily forget about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Well, I wanted to try to end the show on some positive <laughs> notes. Um, talked a little bit about Gustafson. I want to talk about Brock Faber um, because, you know, if there was a bright spot for any one single player in the series, it was Brock Faber. Um, no points in the series, but he finishes as the only Minnesota Wild player to play all six games and not be on the ice uh, for a single goal against. Um, he played a total of, uh, he only played, it came out to 87 minutes and 18 seconds across those six games. So, you know, not necessarily a a big amount of ice time, but in that time, uh, the wild outscoring the stars three to zero. Um, and to me, the impressive part is he did this with John Klingberg as his partner. Um, he finished, he finished this year's the 55% expected goal share at five on five with John Klingberg who at the trade and then coming into the playoffs was having one of the worst analytical seasons in the analytical era. And he basically fixed John Klingberg. Like maybe John Klingberg found a different gear in the playoffs. I mean, he, I thought Klingberg overall looked better. He had a couple mistakes here and there, but I mean, Faber did a little bit with John Merrill as well, who wasn't great. Like he looked confident. He made simple plays he blocked shots. He was, you know, engaged physically. Like, <laughs> he just didn't look like a guy who had played two meaningless regular season games and then was thrown into the Wolves against the Dallas Stars in a crazy physical series. And, like, there was just never that, like, like when Brock Faber was on the ice, like, there was this calming, like, yeah, like, Faber's going to make the right play every time. And, like, that's really encouraging, um, you know, if you're going to be looking at a, a pair of him and Brodeen, like that's going to be hell. That's going to be hell for other teams. Yeah. Like I just like, he had such a good series, like all the things that, you know, we talked about with him as we've been ranking him since the acquisition, the skating, the defensive IQ, the simple plays, the boxing out, like all of those things that are, you know, that Kalen, like Frank, that Kalen Addison is terrible at Brock Faber's really good at, like it's hard to play defense in the NHL. And he, to see that in this atmosphere this early on is extremely encouraging. Cause I think there was questions like, Oh, will he start the team out of camp next year? And yeah, I think he'll have a spot out yeah. of camp unless something crazy happens. Yeah. I mean, he was solid as hell. <laughs> he was mm-hmm. so fun to watch. Um, I feel like even if he did have a gaff, he has such good skating that that made up for any gaff he had. Yeah, He sells he out, makes a diving like, play yeah. to save right. you know, a goal. And another thing, he did it with the Gophers a lot in the games I watched, but he just he knows when to jump into a play. He knows you know when he can go out play forward, 
and and not have it bite them in the ass. Just he wasn't afraid to go along the boards. It just every pass and play, like you said, he made seemed to be simple, and, and he didn't really seem to make mistakes. And like I said just, before, if he didn't no make a mistake, panic, he had and it's a, just unbelievable. No, so calm, just. Mm-hmm. I feel like if he did make a mistake, he had the skating and the IQ to fix that mistake basically immediately. So, you know, definitely a great sign. And, and, you know, this is, uh, plays into that long game thing. Like the more you see these guys come in and get incorporated and seeing the promise that you saw in maybe like college or juniors or whatever, whatever it may be to be this good, this soon for him is bodes very well for our future. I think, you know, part of the, uh, you know, I don't, he obviously, I mean, like you said, he was with Klingberg uh, on the third pair, kind of, they sheltered him a little bit. Yeah, they got so a think, lot of offensive zone starts, which I think helped a lot of those numbers, but still, like, mm-hmm. to I not think, let that go the other way, I think is still impressive. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of the, uh, you know, Justin mentioned the making plays that we saw, especially this year with the Gophers and, you know, making passes up the ice and breaking the puck out. I think that's something that you'll just see more you know, start of next season. Cause obviously, you know, you're coming in as a rookie, either he had it thought of it was thinking of it himself or the coaches were kind of telling him this, you know, Hey, you know, he's probably thinking, you know, I don't want to come in and, you know, jump up in the play or make some really bad mistake, you know, over time of a playoff game in like the second or third game I've ever played and, you know, just concentrated on keeping it simple. You know, obviously like, like you guys mentioned, that is, you know, he's like Brody and the fact that it's his game most of all, but I think, you know, especially if, as Brett mentioned, he does play with Bernie next year, maybe there's a little bit more of an opportunity there for him to, you know, carry the puck a little bit, like Justin said, play with it in the zone and, you know, generate a little bit more offense once he's, you know, kind of fully comfortable and kind of integrated into the team and the NHL. Because I think that's, you know, that's maybe the one thing he didn't do a ton of in the playoffs, just, you know, just for role and the fact that he was that young. But I think, you know, when he gets a little bit more of a responsibility and a few more games under his belt next year, we'll definitely start to see, uh, you know, what he can do with puck on a stick versus just when, you know, the other team has it. So. Yeah, and I think, Zeke, to echo something you said there, I think a big focus, and I think we've heard it kind of mumbled, you know, by Garen and the coaching staff here and there, is like they want to develop the offensive game but they mm-hmm. feel like that's something they can tap into. Like, it, it's hard to coach good defense. Like, it is. I mean, look at the, the best teams in the league are ones that understand defense. Um, I mean, we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes absolutely suffocating the Devils for one of the fastest, you know, most high-octane offenses in the league. You know, look at the Buffalo Sabres, right? They had offense figured out, but they couldn't play defense for shit, and they missed the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it's hard to coach and to learn defense and to have all that down is a great sign, and... You know, am I expecting Brock Faber, you know, one day be a 50-point Norris-caliber defenseman? No. But, you know, could he chip in 20, 30 points, be an effective penalty killer and absolute minute muncher at 5-on-5? Five five? Absolutely he could. Yep. Um, You know, maybe could he be a Jared Spurgeon-ish? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think he'd be better than Spurgeon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, might not the offense might not be there, but yeah, if right. it's possible to be better defensively than Spurgeon, who knows? Um, so that's a bright spot. Um, other bright spots from the series. I don't really have any. <laughs> that was yeah, kind of I mean, my my one takeaway. Yeah. yeah, there might have been a couple of guys who maybe had a game or two, but yeah. yeah. I mean, all the other guys that played good aren't going to be back, so it's not really worth talking about. <laughs> no, right. Um, but oh, watch this transition here. One guy that will be back is Marcus Johansson. <laughs> uh-huh, we call that a transition. Uh-huh. Um, 
Marcus Johansson did get a contract extension yesterday, so that's kind of where we'll wrap up the show today. A two-year, $4 million total dollars, uh, so $2 million average annual value uh, for the speedy winger. Um, overall, I yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm not jumping out of my chair, like, super excited. I'm not, like, how they let him walk. I don't know if I would have, you know, been less sad or equally happy. Like, he was great in the regular season, less than to be desired in the playoffs. But, you know, how much of that was playing through injury, not having Eric Sinek, who, you know, and Boldy, who it was, you know, that was the line that clicked. It wasn't, you know, showed chemistry with Boldy, all that stuff. Um, Evolving Hockey released their contract projections um, for the subscribers on the website this week, they had him projected a two-year deal of like closer to three and a half million. So, and their projections are usually pretty darn good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, misses here and there, but basically coming in about three and a half or a million and a half under what kind of their ex- what that expected contract would be. Um, you know, seem to find that juice. So, um, the one thing that is a little like Mick is he did get a full no trade on that both years. Um, so he's not going anywhere unless he decides to waive it. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's the one thing, but, oh, well, I guess, um, other than that, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm fine with it. He's, you know, had, had yeah. good numbers in the regular season and, you know, I would expect, you know, hopefully that to continue, you know, I would assume Eck and him, Eck and Boldy will be aligned to start next season, um, mm-hmm. unless something else changes, but I doubt it. Well, I mean, this is, you know, we talked about, yeah, obviously, every, you know, we talked about with the dead cap space and their inability to kind of add guys to supplement the team. I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to, you know, you don't want to necessarily, they're not settling doing this. You don't want to just settle for anybody. But, I, you know, like we talked about, they're not going to really have much money to play with in general. And who really are you going to get that, you know, is going to be better than Johansson for that price as a free agent? Probably not too many. I mean, I think obviously maybe a lot, could have been would have been nice to see potentially Nyquist back, but it you know it seems like he's probably going to be asking for a little bit more as he should considering... in my mind. Yeah. Like if yeah. I mean you look at the games he did play at the Wild, I don't know what he ended up finishing. It was damn close to a point per game. As we yeah. talked, he looked like their best player, so I wouldn't be. Yeah. I think his projection was like in the four to four and a half for like yeah. a two to three year deal, which to me seems pretty fair. I think it's just how do teams look at that injury and that value, but. I will say if, if I think if the Wild could have got him at two by two, they would have. But I don't think they could. Yeah. Right. And, and right I mean, so. fair for the player. Yeah, I mean he has the history of Chris Johansson of being more of a consistent top six scorer on you know wherever he's played in Detroit and Columbus and all that. But yeah, no, I, nothing you said not particularly. It's not like you know wow amazing Johansson, but I don't think there's you know there's nothing really reason to hate it. I mean if he comes in and can you know not necessarily going to score at close to point per game all year but if he scores you know 20-ish goals maybe 50 points uh playing on that line that Rhett mentioned with boldy and you know can to help give him a little bit more of stability uh, and a little more talent on his line like he kind of showed uh and produced at the same time it's you know there's not too many uh you know at least from what we can see right now not too many downsides to keeping around for two years especially just when... don't put him on the penalty kill yeah don't, don't do that he's <laughs> He's obviously not so, yeah. No, no, no real downside for me in keeping him around for a couple more years, especially when it seemed like he, you know, really fit well with the team and has really liked it here both stints. So, yeah, I mean, I'm fine with it too. 18 points in 20 games in the regular season. Uh, of course, we didn't do so hot in the playoffs. No one really did. Um, 
Uh, the real reason I think he did sign such a good fr- team-friendly contract is one, the Wild are awesome, but two, actually maybe one, is they get to play in Sweden next year. So <laughs> that, maybe that okay, that helps. Hopefully that'll give a haircut on <laughs> yeah. Gustafsson too. Right. Cool. Uh, but no, uh, joking aside, I, I'm fine with it. Gives hope, maybe Boldy a uh, consistent linemate for a couple of years till some of these young guys really start to come in, and, and you know the future really starts to really be incorporated into the lineup. And uh, you know we asked for consistent good linemates for Fiala and we got one here Boldy with him and you know hopefully this is the start to the same for Boldy you know a, a consistent linemate nothing to jump out at but uh, you know someone to get get through this cap hell with a good contract and, and get us some of these young guys back and and uh, you know get us to that point where we can splash on some big time free agents hopefully yeah for sure um that about, I think, covers our, you know, kind of our series wrap-up, those immediate thoughts. Um, and, you know, it is sad that the season comes to an end, but mm-hmm. I think I speak for all three of us when I say that kind of these next, like, six to eight shows that we do are probably some of the favorites um, that I think we do all year. Um, so we've got a really cool schedule built out um, just to kind of give the listeners a preview of what what's upcoming uh, we'll recap some of our favorite moments from the season on next week's show, um, and then also kind of run through an offseason checklist. So we'll talk about the cap mm-hmm. space, who the free agents are, which ones we'd bring back, who we'd look to trade, um, you know, those types of those types of things. Um, coaching changes. We'll talk a little bit about you know Iowa coaching changes. Maybe we'll have some candidates by then. All that good stuff. Um, and then after that show, the next two weeks, we'll run through our player grades episode. So that's where we'll take, uh, I don't know how many players it'll be yet, but uh, it'll probably be a lot considering how many they had at the deadline. You have, you know, kind of mixed seasons for guys like Rossi, Walker, Addison. We'll, we'll talk about all those guys. So, um, that's always an interesting one that'll be accompanied by my full season PCS and player cards. Um, so those should roll out here sometime before those shows, hopefully, um, after those two episodes, we'll do forwards on one, defense and goalies on the other. Uh, we will do uh, one of my favorite episodes, the Sound the Foghorn Awards. We'll, we'll award um, players different awards for goal of the year, best newcomer, uh, rookie of the year, all that fun stuff, most improved. Um, those are awards that we let listeners and Minnesota Wild Twitter vote on. Um, so that's always fun just to see how those uh, draft results come through. Um, and then it really becomes that awesome time of year. Uh, we'll have our entry draft primer. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll ba- basically those shows will take us to the end of May. We'll take a couple weeks off as we kind of transition into summer there, um, probably right around the Stanley Cup time. Um, and then we will, um, un- tentatively right now, it'll be June 21st. Uh, we record our entry draft primer. We'll probably run through eight to ten names uh, of players that we'd like for the Wilds draft position, which I believe will be right around 19 or 20. I think um, right now they have us at 22, but... I believe it goes up because Seattle moved yeah. on and somebody else. Yeah. So I think we would right. bump ahead. It was tentative at that. Yeah, moment, yeah. But. So it'll be in a spot they've picked kind of similar the last two seasons, that nineteen twenty area, um, where they found some real good value in some Swedes and Jesper Wallstedt, Liam Ugrin, Danila Yurov, Carson Lambos. Um, pretty, pretty good picks that they've made. Uh, they're yeah. in a very deep draft um, that could go a lot of different directions. Um, so we'll talk about players there. Um, and then a couple days later, we'll do a free agency primer. So once we kind of see the results of the draft, if there's any at the draft trades, we'll be able to look at the depth chart, um, 
probably at that point, I'd assume most of the RFAs will likely be assigned or qualified or tendered. Um, and we'll have just a good idea of what they might need to address in free agency. Um, and then the week of the 4th of July or the week after, uh, we are targeting our uh, prospect rankings episode, which we know is a listener favorite. Um, we'll, do, we'll be collaborating once again with Spoke Z, Hoppy, and Isha of the Soda Pod on that ranking, probably our top 20 plus honorable mention prospects um, on that show. So we're not going anywhere. There'll be maybe like a two to three week period in there unless there's big news that breaks somewhere in between there. Uh, we'll just take a little bit of a break and reset and get ready for the off season, but still some things to wrap up on the regular season, the playoffs. So super excited. Um, it's always like this episode's kind of the doom and gloom one. And then it gets a little bit more fun again after this. Yep. Definitely doom and gloom and then back to business. And exactly. I said it before the show, but I am already freaking stoked for this draft stuff. I've already started looking and looking into the, you know, some of these guys and, uh, really waiting for the elite prospects draft guide, which is oh, yeah. excellent to come out in June, but uh, kind of going with uh, Scott Wheeler's and Proudman's work right now. Yeah, I think Wheeler just released his there. top 32 earlier yeah, this week. 64 earlier 60. in the season, and then yeah. Proudman just put one out as well. Yeah, so, so I mean, great stuff. I mean, there are, like, players, like, I think it's probably a guy that will explore it when I'm talking about, like, Gabe Perot, who just yeah. broke the um, – U.S. National Development Program, like, all-time points, like, more than Matthews, Hughes, like, mm-hmm. Patrick Kane, like, some of these really big names. And he's projected in, like, the mid-teens, 20s because of his skating. Like, that's how deep this draft class is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there is just, like, there is so much talent. Like, this is a 2015-level draft class. I mean, the top probably four or five picks a lot of years are probably top one or two, which kind of sucks because I mean Chicago's going to get somebody good probably. Um, yes. I think the f- I think it's the farthest they can fall, I believe, is six. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. So just so yeah, hopefully. As long as it's not Bedard, we don't slap yeah. to that. Yeah. Oh Bedard. No thanks. Yeah. So and I believe we'll find out uh, Monday, so we'll know when we record oh, next no. week. Yeah, because Russo is doing his live show on the draft. Uh, I think that yeah the the lottery night the lottery yeah I nice. can't think of the word yeah, I'll, be, I'll be at softball so I might have to take a peek between games maybe I might get home just in time no yeah I don't know what time my games are but yeah I don't, yeah I'll be right in the middle of softball probably uh, just some so time for you to see Gary Batman with a magnet on the Blackhawks ball <laughs> I, I'm really pulling for Columbus like that's I, yeah, that's where cool. I hope he goes like and I think the league would hate it. <laughs> honestly yeah. like oh, sure, just having yeah. like they're a star player in kind of a nothing market but that's why i want him there is like columbus at the end of the year was selling games out yeah like when they were ter- like i don't know yeah. if it was kind of like the tank for bedard fans like kind of cheering them on yeah. to lose but i mean basically since re- i mean they had artemi panarin for a little bit like they had that you know that that huge upset against tampa bay but like that's kind of like the three pillars of Columbus yeah. history, right? Like Rick right Nash now. beating the lightning <laughs> and having and like Artemi Panarin played here like, for like two years. Like, yay. All right. Like I just, and like nothing Columbus ever done makes me angry. Like their fans seem pretty cool. Like they're our mm-hmm. expansion sister, cousin, cousin. brother, however, however you want to refer to them. Like Family. I think it'd be sweet for them to get, you know, a big time player and f- further just clusterfuck that conference and division of just talent. But mm-hmm. I think Anaheim 
It was a cool spot. Yeah, San Jose, um, maybe. Who else is in the mix? San Jose, Chicago, Montreal, Phoenix, Montreal, and Arizona. Yeah, Arizona would be kind of cool with like freaking Cooley and Bedard down the middle for the rest of your franchise. <laughs> That'd be pretty nice. <laughs> they would probably move the franchise to Houston after that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if there's one thing that could maybe potentially save that market, which get your conspiracy theories going, you know, <laughs> hey, what happened when Pittsburgh was in trouble? Oh, here's Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, Flurry, Stall, yeah. all these guys. Yeah. So, who knows? <laughs> we'll let, let, let the conspiracy theories run wild. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, so <laughs> draft lottery is, is on Monday, so we'll know the order of the first, whatever, that is, six, 16, 16 or so. picks. So. <laughs> Um, none of those would affect the wild least as of now. I mean, there is the, and I think, you know, we might talk about this maybe closer to the actual draft, but, you know, given where they're picking the, the depth of the draft, the skill in the draft, the massive prospect pool, like if there was a year to move up, I think this could yeah. be the potential where that could happen. Well, so yeah, and they got the two second round picks that could help them do yeah. that too. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there we go. We kind of ended on some happy ish stuff. Yeah. We got That's we got smile. there. We got there eventually. <laughs> yeah. it took a while, but we got there. Yeah. Um I guess we'll open the door as we always do. Final thoughts here, um, as we unfortunately head in to the off season. Uh, I don't know, not much other than we're now only two years away from being out of cap hell instead of three. <laughs> two more years. But two, two more, more million years. per year. So. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly balanced as all things should be, as they say. So. Yeah. Zeke, any anything any final thoughts? Uh not particularly much. Just, you know, obviously like Brett mentioned with the schedule next couple of weeks, next couple of months actually, you know, should be a lot of uh, fun stuff regardless of what the wild do or not do. Uh get a lot of you mentioned great content and just uh thanks to everyone again for following on listening this year. I think we've you know, based on just looking at the you know, just basic downloads has gone up by a good portion pretty much year after year and especially this year. So we, uh, you know, appreciate, you know, as usual, everyone uh, tuning and listening and also everyone else in the, uh, you know, the kind of the podcasting community, blogging community around here, Seth Topol, Octon Wild, guys like him, uh, Soda Pod, obviously, all those guys, you know, it's a, obviously it's a great kind of community here, great group we have here. We're all, you know, like you mentioned with our club, it's all uh all kind of together in this so just uh you know thanks for uh, supporting us and everyone else this season it's been awesome yeah yeah i think it goes zeke we're you know we're not going anywhere the off season is gonna we're gonna jump right in have a lot of good content that'll keep coming your way we're gonna i'm gonna try to ramp up some things on social media you know we're gonna try to use our twitter account maybe some more next year and just continue to push out content that way too so you don't have to tune into three different feeds all the time uh, for our takes so we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of good stuff coming uh, these episodes should be a lot of fun um, mm-hmm. so yeah and as Zeke said thank you for following along for another regular season um, you know, there's a lot of you that, that tune in every week that send us questions interact with the content uh, send us nice you know mo- minus you know the occasional psycho opposing fan uh, send us really nice DMs about you know liking liking appreciating the work liking the pod all that stuff so we do appreciate that because if we don't have listeners we're just yelling into air so yeah, um, we're talking to each other and no one yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, Zeke's just yelling at the refs to Justin and I and nobody yeah. else. I'm <laughs> speaking there, analytics into a wall. 
Justin's <laughs> talking about prospects to crickets. Like that's what happens yeah. to our listeners. So, um, but we do. So we're thankful <laughs> for you. Um, but that'll do it. So Justin, why don't you remind everyone where they can find you and all of your work? Uh, you can find me at the East 2004. You can find me at Caprice FC with Caprice of countdown. You can find me at pipeline UMD at UMD Bulldogs pipeline and at MNW prospects with MNW young guns. Zeke. Yeah. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at Zeke Wyatt with capital Z and capital B. And uh, if you want to connect with me at all, that's where you'll be able to find me. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well, both on Twitter and Instagram at Sound the Foghorn, all one word. Lots of off-season content coming up or coming your way uh, next week through the end of May. Um, and then we hit draft and free agency season. Lots of content coming your way there as well. We thank you again for tuning in to another season of Sound the Foghorn. And we look forward to taking you through the offseason and hopefully into better things in the 2023-2024, the final, the first of the final two years of the Parisi and Suter buyouts. But until then, this has been another episode of Sound of